This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Hey, welcome to Bartender Journey Podcast number 112, 122 shows. My name is Brian Vincent Weber, and this is the podcast that talks all about cocktails and spirits and bartending. Well, joining me on the show today will be Tristan Stevenson, and he has the Curious Bartender line of books. The latest one is An Odyssey of Malt, Bourbon, and Rye Whiskeys. And uh, before that was The Curious Bartender, The Artistry and Alchemy of Creating the Perfect Cocktail. And uh, these are great books. The cocktail book is... uh, Great. It, it, he, uh, he'll show a classic cocktail recipe and then show his sort of twist on it, his sort of uh, molecular mixology kind of twist on it, uh, although he doesn't really like that term. But but uh, he, he's a great guy, and he's very influential in the bar scene in, in London and all around England. So uh, that, that was a great conversation. Uh, can't wait for you guys to hear that. It's coming right up. The books of the week, of course. If you go to bartenderjourney.net, you'll see links to uh, these books, to Tristan's books. And uh, if you click through those links on the bartenderjourney.net, go through to Amazon and uh, buy some stuff, and you'll be helping out the show a bit. Uh, we get a little bit. It doesn't cost you any extra, and uh, a little that's a little financial support to help uh, keep this show going. Want to keep it going for another 122 and uh, another 122 shows and and beyond. So, uh, but uh, it costs a bit of money to uh, produce it, and uh, anything you can do to help out would be greatly appreciated. I'm gonna try a new segment on the show this week and uh, hopefully keep it going. Uh, we'll do a, we'll do a cocktail recipe each week. That'd be good, right? I got some uh, samples of this Tippleman's Not Quite Simple Syrups, and uh, honestly, I was a little critical, you know, I'm like, simple syrups, uh, I mean, not, they're not simple, they're they're interesting, I'll tell you all about them in a minute, but uh, I was a little critical, like, I, you know, I can make my own syrups, man, I can do it, but, uh, but these are, are really good. They're made in Charleston, South Carolina by this couple who uh, own a bar and restaurant down there, and... Uh, their name is Marlena and Joe Rea, and uh, they own the gin joint in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, then they started up this company, Tippleman's Not Quite Simple Syrups. And uh, there's a burnt sugar. There's the phalarum, which is uh, excellent, and that's a classic um, ingredient in, in um, tiki drinks. And uh, it's really good. Uh, I haven't broken all these up open yet. So uh, they're the ginger honey, which I haven't tried yet. The uh, lemon olosacrum, which is uh, I can't wait to try that one. That's uh, that's where you take the rinds of the lemons, put sugar on it, and it extracts the lemon oils, and uh, can be really delicious. And uh, the barrel smoked maple maple syrup. Oh boy, I made a uh, old fashioned with that yesterday. That was really good. Apparently, they take freshly emptied bourbon barrels from the Willet Distillery, which uh, that's an awesome bourbon, by the way. I just picked up a bottle recently. Uh, uh, the the Barrels are shaved, so uh, they're getting rid of some of that char inside, I suppose, and re-moistened with bourbon and slowly smoldered under organic grade B maple syrup. Ooh, it's delicious. So where is this all leading us to? The, the cocktail recipe for the week. Uh, it's, it's a tiki recipe. Island of Martinique cocktail. And there's a long history of this uh, where it comes from Don the Beachcomber, circa 1948, uh, an employee that worked for him back in the day. And there's a long story here. Uh, you should get this book too. <laughs> Beachcomb berries, potions of the Caribbean. And uh, I'll tell you the long history of this drink here. But uh, it dates back to 1948. And uh, so we're going to use uh, an ounce and a half of gold rum agricole, or uh, I used a uh, 
different rum, but a different dark rum, but that's all right. Uh, use half an ounce of half an ounce of fresh lime juice, half an ounce of the phalarum, and a quarter ounce of uh, simple of not simple syrup of uh, honey syrup, and it's actually two to one ratio honey to water, so it's a uh, basically a rich honey syrup and. Uh, dash of Angostura bitters. I actually use one dash of the aromatic bitters and one dash of Angostura orange bitters. And uh, so you take uh, some crushed ice and throw that all in the blender and uh, it comes out and then use a fine strainer to put that into a chilled coupe glass and it comes out real nice, a little frothy and uh, delicious, very, very tiki. And uh, I'm enjoying one right now, so cheers, here's to you. And remember, we'll have our uh, toast at the end of the podcast. Every week now, we do at the very end of the podcast a toast. So like I kind of sort of mentioned already, the uh, books of the week are Tristan Stevenson's books, The Curious Bartender line of books, and you'll see links to that up on bartenderjourney.net. And we're going to talk to Tristan in just a minute. But first, very quickly, uh, a little industry news. Flavar has released a new app. It's free uh, for your iPhone and Android as well, I believe. And uh, you can it, it's interesting. It really, it'll really help you with uh, something that I've been working on, which is trying to pick out the different tastes, uh, um, the, the different flavors within a, within a spirit. It, you know, so for instance, uh, I brought up here Wood, Woodford Reserve uh, Rye Whiskey, and uh, th- there's a beautiful graphic uh, that shows you uh, the, the different tastes that um, that uh, you should be able to pick out from from this spirit, and uh, it says you should taste rye, toasted oak, uh, uh, sweet almonds, burnt caramel, butterscotch. Uh, dry, much smaller uh, than the sweet. So this, you know this graphic kind of uh, helps develop your uh, your your taste, uh, your your sense of taste, and uh, which is like I said, something I've been really trying to develop uh, myself. And I talked to Tristan about that in this interview that's coming right up. Hey, remember at the very end of the show we're going to have our toast. So stay tuned all the way to the very end. All right, here's Tristan. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Good. How are you? Not bad, thank you. Not bad. Sorry, I'm slightly late getting on the call. I, uh, suddenly, it was like, are we doing this at four or at five? And I couldn't remember. And then I was like, oh my God, it's five past four. <laughs> no problem. I realized it was at four. Well, thanks uh, Thanks so much for getting on the call. I mean, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank and uh, congratulations on your uh, Spirited Award nominations for your book. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> are you coming to Tales? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, got, uh, I've got two seminars to do, one on Wednesday and one on Friday. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, I'll be at the, the awards in the evening there as well. Great. Which, uh, which seminars are you doing? Uh, so I've got one on Wednesday, which is uh, the Anthropology of the Modern Bar. Mm. Um, and I'm doing that with Claire Smith from Belvedere and Jeffrey Kluger, who writes for Time. Nice. And it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of what it says in the tin, although we hadn't fully finished develop it, developing it when we, we put the submission in and we're now like, oh my God, this yeah. is such a broad topic. How on earth are we going to kind of condense it down to 90 minutes and you know, keep, keep the messages snappy and all that sort of thing? But um, hopefully we've done it. All right. <laughs> and then on Friday, I've got a seminar, which uh, is basically about writing books, actually, and, mm. and writing for... Um, journalism, bartenders, and you know what the opportunities are there, and how you go about doing it, all that sort of thing. Oh, right. I remember. Uh, I remember seeing that one. I'm. I'm. I'm at a, another seminar at that time, so I won't be able to make it. Yeah. But uh, my my schedule is jam packed. I don't know about yours. <laughs> oh well, it, look, it's always the case, isn't it? You know, you you end up kind of booking stuff out, and before you know it, the whole week's just disappeared, and then you bump into people and you have drinks and all this sort of thing, and yeah, the whole thing ends up a blur, which is good. That's what yeah. it's all about. 
Right, right. <laughs> I know that's what happened. I, you know, he planned it out minute by minute almost. And the next thing you know, the whole thing falls apart because he, uh, <laughs> he starts socializing and having a good time. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I was reading both of your, both of your books, the, um, the Whiskey Book, which is the new, the new one, which was uh, nominated for yeah. the award this year. And the, uh, yeah. the Cocktail Book was nominated last year, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's good to get two years in a row. I kind of, um, it was a cocktail book last year. Um, I hoped I would be be in the shortlist. I really wanted to be. Um, and, you know, the feedback I was getting from people made me think that I would be. Um, yeah. With the whiskey book, it was much more of a surprise. Um, I mean, partly because the, the category is a new one, I think, because it's a spirit, spirits category rather than cocktail writing so I wasn't really aware they were doing that and um partly because well there's a hell of a lot of good books out there and it's just nice to be out there yeah there are a lot of whiskey books and, and yours is awesome but I like in the in the right off the bat you say you were telling a distiller that you were going to write a whiskey book and he was like oh another one huh <laughs> yeah exactly I mean that in that first um few paragraphs of the book kind of tells a story really I mean it, it was just a case of my, my I mean I'm planning on writing because uh, I've just published a coffee book as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're planning on creating a whole series here. So we're going to cover all the spirit categories. But my publisher was quite keen to do whiskey. And, um, I, you know, I wasn't at all, at all against it, although it's, it's a big subject. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of whiskey books out there. You know, a, a lot of them written by people that I know and friends and stuff like that. And right. it, it, it was a tough one to, to get into. And then I realized, you know what? I just need to do it my way and and make sure my voice is sort of carrying through in the book. And then, you know, no one can no one can tell me that you know I've not not done the category justice. Then and you know, it's just, I've just done it my way. Right. Well, it's it's a great book. It's I mean, it's it's informative and fun to read, but it's really a textbook because it, you know it's yeah. it's really informative. And uh, some of the things I liked was uh, the definition of categories. Categorizing American whiskey is one of the toughest of the lot because. It is all like families and subfamilies and subfamilies, and it, it's um, it's quite confusing to get your head around actually. Whereas over here, it's well, actually, it's, you know, it's not that much different here. I mean, like for example, the, the term Scotch mm-hmm. doesn't tell you anything. Right. Um, you know, it, it suggests that it's a whiskey from Scotland, which it would be, but it doesn't tell you anything else. You know, it doesn't tell you whether it's malt or anything like that. And so it, it's it's actually quite confusing and headache-inducing trying to trying to work it all out, and then. Uh, provide an explanation in a in a way that people are going to understand, you know. Right, right. Well, it is confusing. No, you know, no, yeah. no wonder people are confused. I I was behind the bar uh, last weekend and uh, hear this. You know, I, I I overhear everything in the bar. You know, there's a table yeah. <clears throat> of four guys uh, sitting. You know, they're not sitting at the bar. They're sitting at a table and they're talking about bourbon. And you know, they and and some of the stuff that they were talking about was correct. But then somebody says, "So does bourbon have to be made in Kentucky?" <laughs> and the consensus mm. was. At the table was yes, you know, and I didn't feel like it was my place to uh, yeah. jump in their conversation yeah. that I was eavesdropping on. But <laughs> yeah, I get that quite a lot, and um, I my wife often um, reprimands me because I do jump in. Yeah, I go, well, actually, uh... <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, if, the, if they were sitting at the bar and you were part of the conversation, that's one thing. But yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, well, I remember I jumped into a conversation like that in Venice once. I was in Harry's Bar in Venice, mm. and. Uh, my wife and I were on our honeymoon, and uh, there was a an American guy actually from from Texas was talking with the bartender about tonic water, mm. asking him what tonic water was and you know where it comes from, how it's made. And the, the bartender gave him a couple of 
you know, dubious answers that I was like, mm, it's, it's not, he's wrong. He's like making stuff up here. He doesn't know. Yeah. So I jumped in. I mean, anyway, we ended up getting chatting with this guy and he bought like, he must have bought us like six Bellinis, I think, uh, <laughs> by the end of it. Um, turned out he had like 40,000 acres of ranch land in Texas or something. He clearly wasn't struggling. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, he bought us a whole round of drinks and things. It was good. That's cool. Yeah. Well, mm. well, these guys, I live in the Hudson Valley of New York and I wanted to, yeah. t- I wanted to go over and tell these guys, I could drive you to three distilleries within half an hour of here that are making bourbon yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in New York. Yeah, exactly. That would be the best way to wade in with that one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and there's some good bourbon. There's some good bourbon around here. Tuttle Town's not far. Yeah, yeah. I've not been. Up, I've not been up that north in um, New York before. Um, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd really like to get up there. Yeah, it's a beautiful before, area, yeah. especially yeah. in the summertime. Next time you're in New York, please let me know. I'd love to show you around and take you to some distilleries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, getting back to whiskeys, the Lincoln process. That's that's quite a process, you know. Like uh, some some of these Tennessee whiskeys, which is technically not a bourbon because it's a slightly different process, but uh, they can be a little pricey. But once you start reading about how they make this stuff, it's like, I don't, I don't know if they're charging enough for this stuff. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, I, I think bourbon is one of the best value. Bourbon and Tennessee whiskeys right. uh, is one of the best value categories out there. Um, you know, for well, in, in British money, you know, under, under 16, 18 pounds, you're buying, a, you know, an aged spirit. You know, usually a, a pretty decent quality, even at that level. Um, you know, when you compare that to the, some of the price you pay for vodka, um, and of course, you know, decent tequila is a lot more expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, sure, you can get cheap rum, but it tends to be a bit questionable in terms of quality. Uh, yeah, bur- bourbon, I think, is pretty good value, really, when all is said and done. Um, oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the Lincoln County is, well, it is just, it's a lot of extra effort. I mean, you only need to go to these places and see the kind of space they have to uh, allocate to doing it. Yeah. Um, well, they take these giant logs, right, and set them on fire. It's, it's wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty mad. And then, so then they, they filter the whiskey through these sort of burnt logs. And then yeah. I, did, I didn't realize until reading your book that uh, the gentleman Jack is is filtered again the same way after after aging. That's interesting. Yeah, that's right. So they do it on twice. That's the kind of defining difference between uh, between the two. And yeah, if you taste it, you do it takes some of the the that age note back out of it again, um, softens it up, makes it a little bit more approachable, really. That's mm. um, the gentleman. Because the other thing is that maybe you caught this bit in the book. I'm trying to remember exactly. Uh, Dickel and Jack Daniels have a slightly different way of doing it. Mm. So with Jack Daniels, they just drip it through. So it's like percolation in coffee. You know? It's mm. just drip through this these uh, this charcoal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Dickel, they actually it's more like a French press. So they fill the whole thing up mm. uh, with liquid, and then it sits there for a short time, and then they drain it out again. So there's like a there's an actual infusion, if you like. Right. Um, which, in my mind, would would make the process slightly more um, effective, right? But then, you know, then it comes down to how often do they change their charcoal, and right. also the the ABV at which they do it at, and various other factors that are going to influence that too. Mm-hmm. Well, I like the uh, you talk about the ten whiskey flavor groups, and that, I, I found that very helpful. But uh, but yeah. what I like is, what I like especially is you say when you're when you're because I'm trying to learn how to you know 
say, oh, this tastes like pears and smoked, you know, and it's, it's, it's not easy to, to develop that. But, uh, you mm-hmm. know, read it, reading these, one thing that you said that was very helpful, it said uh, focus on, there's a lot going on and focus on one thing like fruitiness, for instance, and then explore that, you know, what type of fruit? Is it apples? Is it green apples or red apples? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, the kind of um, direction on tasting was stuff that I guess I was using myself before I wrote the book, but I'd never really stopped to think about it and, mm. and, and written it down. But the, I mean, the analogy that I think I used, with, you know, when you're, you're hearing a lot of people talking in a room at the same time, and if you don't focus on anyone, it's just a noise. Right. As soon as you start to kind of extrapolate different conversations out of the out of the room, you know, it becomes very easy to focus in on one and another, another. And I think that it's exactly the same thing uh, with with flavor. You know, you have to start focusing, and it's training yourself to be able to focus on mm. specific elements of it. Whether you're trying to detect what that bitterness is, or sweetness, or um, you know, the floral element to it, and th- then it comes with practice. And certainly. I mean, I was better at tasting whiskey a year ago than I am now because I'm not drinking so much anymore. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm still drinking whiskey, but uh, you know, not I'm not drinking. You know, I was doing ten, fifteen samples a day right. um, for that for that year, pretty much. So, you know, you you get you get really you really fine tune your your abilities. Well, I find that the best way to. Uh that's really the best way to taste things is to taste say three in a row of the same category that I find that very helpful. Yeah. 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 I mean, exactly. If you can, t- if you can, uh, narrow down to, um, expressions that are similar, you know, even if you start tasting the same stuff from distilleries, like if you, you know, chase yeah. tasting different expressions, um, that may be only slightly different, then you can really start to pick out nuance. And I, I definitely agree that comparative tastings, a really, really great tool. When I was writing tasting notes for that book, um, I would I would usually taste the product. Well, sometimes I'd taste it three times, but usually twice. Sometimes I'd taste it if I was at the distillery, for example, and everything. But I generally don't take too much notice of my notes then because there's too many kind of extraneous um, elements to that. You know, you may be smelling the bleach that's on the floor of the distillery or whatever it may be. Um, so most of my tasting is done was done all of my tasting was done in my office um, so that it was always exactly the same environment but usually I would taste stuff twice so once um, in isolation you know on its own um, or at least you know without having tasted anything else sort of 15 minutes either side of it uh, and then yeah I would often get similar whiskies together um, same category or same you know, area of production whatever it may be so similar age perhaps uh, and taste them side by side because yeah, it's so it's often a lot easier to pick out what makes something unique when you have, um, you know, kind of almost a control for the experiment, something else to bounce it off. Yeah, exactly. Like if it, yeah, if if you this is something I've been meaning to do, haven't gone around to, but uh, you know, I think in each category, it's nice to have a, a sort of a, a, a standard or a um, you know a benchmark, so one brand yeah. that you really know how it tastes, and then taste that compared to other things. Absolutely, um, and that's not something I consciously did, but it's a bloody good idea. Like you know. What is that benchmark? Um, you know, young bourbon or uh, you know, Speyside uh, Scotch malt. You know, twelve years old, whatever it may be, like Glenfiddich, for example. Right. And then constantly refer back to that and see, uh, you know, see how these other things compare. It's, it's definitely a good way of doing it. Right. Right. Uh, and you have in the cocktail book, you have a section called cocktail taste science. And, uh, you talk about the balance of sweet, bitter, acidity, salt, unami, and, uh, alcohol. But I like what you say, alcohol stimulates the same nerves as hot peppers. 
And while pain mm. isn't a taste per se, <laughs> I thought that was pretty. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we were doing some a few years back. We were doing some stuff uh, at Whistling Shop, my bar in London, um, around sort of recreating. Well, I'm trying to understand the alcohol burn, what it brings to a drink. Why an alcoholic, non-alcoholic drink doesn't quite taste the same, and seeing if we can. I think because we're working on non-alcoholic cocktails and seeing whether the mm. elements we could bring in, carbonation, spice, uh, these kind of things mm-hmm. that would, po- you know, kind of as a, like alcohol imposter basically. So something that seems like it's alcoholic but isn't. Mm. Um, and there are, there are, yeah, some specifically and things like Szechuan pepper, carbon dioxide, they trigger the same, exactly the same nerve receptors that you get with alcohol. Like, it's, I mean, it's not quite as simple as that with alcohol, unfortunately, because there's a chemical burn that you get as well, which is slightly different. But, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a fun, fun one to play around with. And actually, I think there's a huge commercial value in it as well for right. someone. They can come up with, you know, non-alcoholic beer or whatever that really does taste like it's got alcohol in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be worth something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you really get into the science of the things, uh, including ice, which is something you, – you say the uh, the – Cocktail actually is colder than the ice, which I just can't wrap my head around. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, it's physics. It's the fact that the cocktail, uh, I, you know, ice when it's melting is always going to be zero degrees Celsius. It's, right. That's a fact. It's phase changing from, unless it's under like a vacuum or high pressure or something weird like that. But right. in, no, in normal circumstances, it's always going to be zero. But a cocktail can go below zero because it, it's freezing point of the alcohol in it is, is usually much lower. A martini won't freeze till it gets to, I don't know, minus 10, depends on um, exactly how much booze is in it. You know, as, as I said in the book, and I'm still preaching about this now, because it, and it is fascinating, it really gets people talking. Um, you know, most of the chilling power of ice isn't from the fact that it's cold, it's from the fact that it's melting. Hmm. And it's such a great statement, and because immediately people are like, what, it's cold, it's melting, I don't understand. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it, it comes down to the physics that I detail in the book. I mean, it takes a lot more energy to change something from a solid to a liquid than it does just to move it up a degree or two um, Fahrenheit or Celsius, hmm. and, and it's that energy um, that's that, that's being taken. Uh, the ice is taking from your drink that makes it so much colder um, through that melting process. And so you ultimately go around and around circles and you realize, well, I can't make this drink cold unless I have some dilution because I need the ice to melt in order to make it cold. Um, and the proof which we've seen time and time again is these whiskey stones that you get, you know, the granite ones or whatever, and you put them in your freezer, and you pop them in your whiskey, and like five minutes later, you're like, this whiskey isn't really very cold, yeah. and, and it's because the stones aren't melting, they're just cold. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I had this argument with a chef actually the other day, quite a famous chef in the UK, I was, we were talking about it, and uh, he, uh, you know, I came out with this sort of thing, it's like actually, you know, the, the ice is, is chilling it because it's melting. And he said, well, what if I'm rolling around the snow? You're telling me I'm cold because, because the snow's melting, not because the snow's cold. And I was like, well, yeah, the snow's cold, but actually that snow is melting onto your face and your hands, and that's what's really making you cold. Hmm. <laughs> that is weird. Yeah. And uh, how about salt in cocktails? That's something that's coming up a lot lately. Yeah. I, don't, we've been, I think I've, we've been doing salt uh, for a good few years maybe four or five five years now probably i think the first whistling shop menu opened just five years ago we had drink, a couple of drinks which had salt in it and um it's like just one of those sort of face slappingly obvious things you right. know it, it universally improves food up to a point yeah and so why not 
why not cocktails? Um, why not sort of sweeter things? And you know, you see chefs using it a lot in desserts these days, and mm-hmm. it, it really works. You know, we we started making syrups first of all. We were putting just a pinch of salt in there, and it, it just brings everything out. And I was reading a book by um, I don't know if I I don't know if I quoted this in the in the Curious Bartender or not, but I was reading a book by Hervé Tisse, the French. Uh, yes, yes, I uh, did read that. Yeah, a molecular gastronomer or whatever you want to call him, and there's a really great statement in one of his books. It's quite a small book. Um, I think it's I think it's called Molecular Gastronomy or something like that, and uh, he he just basically cites this study where salt, you know, was found to up at the right level. It, you know, dumb down bad flavors and improve good flavors, and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like magic dust in that sense. You know, it <laughs> yeah. really is special stuff. Yeah. Well, you uh, you say you don't like the term molecular mixology, right? Well, I, I, you know what? Words are words, and yeah. they it, and it's it, it doesn't it, it doesn't bother me in any kind of way. It's just the uh, connotations that tend to yeah. be attached to it that I, I don't like, and I think. That, that yeah. seems to be what you're you're doing pretty much. That the I mean that uh that uh what's the name of that drink? The uh, Mister Hyde's. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a cool video. I'll have to put a link to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean it is it, a lot. You know, I've seen some people, um, some other bartenders who who you know take a similar approach to drinks to me, sort of say, oh, you know, what we're doing isn't molecular. It's just a silly term. It's like, well, it is molecular. Mm. Uh, you know, especially when you're playing around with with acids and. Uh, with uh, hydrocolloids, you know, gelling agents, things like that. And, yeah. you know, we're messing about about alcohol and flavor compounds. Of course, it's molecular. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of, you know, a PR fancy marketing way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, you know, what we're really doing is just exploring and, and showing some interest in what makes these drinks tick. Um, and that was what the first book was all about, really. It was kind of trying to understand the DNA of these classic cocktails, what makes them work why have they survived whereas other drinks are, are lost or forgotten um uh, and, and you know why do they remain popular and relevant today mm-hmm. and then of course the second part of the book was you know trying to reimagine them so using those the, whatever themes it is that, that has um, kept them alive and and translating it into a modern sense because so many of these cocktails of course are you know over 100 years old and the uh, the techniques that we have today weren't around then. You know, mm-hmm. the understanding of the ingredients that we we have now wasn't around then. Yeah, but there there's some element of of showmanship and and Mister yep. Hyde's fixer upper. That's what it's called. And uh, yeah. I mean, that's amazing, amazing presentation. You know, and uh, I can't even imagine what you charge for that cocktail. But uh, well, it, yeah, <laughs> I mean that that drinks uh, over six years old now. Weirdly, like it's amazing. Really, we 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 had that on the menu in our, in my first bar, which mm-hmm. I don't I don't have that bar anymore, Pearl. Um, but uh, yeah, we I think even back then we used to charge eleven or twelve pounds for it. So that's like a what eighteen dollar drink, um, yeah, which yeah. six seven years ago it's a fair old bit even in London. Right. Um, yeah, I mean that was we, when we first opened that bar. We were we were quite into some of these sort of techniques and things like dry ice and stuff like that. And we we'd use some of these techniques in competitions, and we'd seen other bartenders doing it as well. Mm. And uh, you know, it, it was they were gaining traction within the industry. But the problem was no one was actually doing any of it on on their menus in bars. It just you didn't see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was just sort of reserved for special events and and competitions. So um, we looked at feasibility of of making that happen. You know, right? Can we realistically, you know, have a drink with a foam? We've got that foam there all the time. Can we can we have dry ice? Can we have liquid nitrogen? Can we serve drinks out of 
you know, all this kind of stuff that you, you know you see more now. Um, places like the Avery and um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of places like the world that are doing quite you know outrageous things that yeah. you think, God, how do they find the time to do all this preparation and things? Yeah. And um, what we what we did is we gambled and we said, right, we're gonna have twelve drinks on our cocktail list. That's it. We'll do classics if people ask, but we want people to buy these drinks. Mm. And um, they did. I mean, 95% of everything we sold was drinks off, off our cocktail list. Oh, and so it that meant was... that it, 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 was, it, was like, it was like running a restaurant with a tasting menu. You know, you, mm. you know exactly what you're going to sell every single night. Oh, um, gotcha. So you can prepare for it. You know you're not going to throw stuff away uh, and, and so on. Right, right. And I'm sure once you send out that first Mr. Hyde's Fixer Upper, all of a sudden everybody in the bar wants one. <laughs> that, was it. That, that drink threatened to cannibalize the bar, actually. <laughs> I'm going to jump in here just for a second. Uh, you really want to see this video. Uh, I, I have it posted up on bartenderjourney.net. And it's an amazing presentation, this drink. And uh, that's what I like so much about Tristan's uh, drinks there. Uh, they, not that you're necessarily going to make all these, um, you know, exactly as he has them because they're quite elaborate and you need some unusual ingredients sometimes. But it really makes you think differently about your, your, uh, your drinks and your presentation. I've been thinking a lot lately after reading Tristan's books about uh, the, the, about drinks. Um, you know, how can we not just make them taste different? How can the experience be different with uh, presentation and texture and uh, uh, whatever? You know, so that's what I like about this stuff so much. It really just makes you think about the possibilities. So go to bartenderjourney.net, and uh, if you're listening to this in the future uh, and are having a hard time finding the post related to this particular show, uh, just go to the Google search bar on the upper right-hand side and type in 122. This is show number 122, so that'll bring you right to it. And once you get there to the posting uh, related to this show, you'll see links to Tristan's books. Uh, It'll bring you through to Amazon, and uh, you should pick them up. And uh, like I always say, it doesn't cost you any extra, but it does help out the show a little bit if you click through those links on bartenderjourney.net to bring you over to Amazon. So, uh, all right, let's get back to the interview where we're still talking about that drink, Mr. Hyde's Fixer Upper. It, it was so popular. It was like uh, people would just uh, come in and say, "Yeah, I want the smoking drink. This is the right bar." Yeah, uh, <laughs> and we'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, take a seat." Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a question about a very simple drink: a gin and tonic. The lime. Do you squeeze it in or leave it perched on the side of the glass? <laughs> uh, well, uh, that depends whether I'm making it for myself or not. I suppose. Um, yeah, <laughs> if I'm guest. making it for myself, then yeah, it's for a guest. Then. <sighs> I would probably ask, um, though it's certainly in the past my I, I've normally just squeezed it straight in there. I think the little extra acidity um, in the gin and tonic doesn't do it any harm. Nope. And um, there's a you know there's aroma there as well. You're you're effectively backwards zesting it, you know, onto yeah. your own hand or onto the glass. So you know you're getting lime up there as well. Um, I've never had anyone return a gin and tonic because I squeezed the lime in. So I'd probably go with a squeeze, yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, and in the whiskey book, you talk about uh, making your own blends of scotch. I mean, that's I, that's yeah. crazy. I, I, I'd be scared to mix my 14-year-old Oban with uh, anything, you know? <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? That section, if, I, I'd love to hear from anyone who's actually followed some of those recipes <laughs> and done it. Because um, it is supposed to it, – it was – it was designed to be more sort of illustrative um, yeah. and theoretical, if you like. Although, obviously, I've made those blends. Yeah. Um, but then I had, in fact, have about 600 whiskeys, um, not full bottles, but samples. So I, I was in a great position to start blending them. Right. 
um, and some of which are, are very expensive and some of which have gone into those blends. I mean, there's a, I think one of them's got Highland Park 40 in it or something. Uh, yeah. which is like, <laughs> it's not the sort of whiskey you're going to buy and go, right, let's get to blending. <laughs> uh, but um, it was a lot of fun. Now, we, uh, we did a series of whiskey talks at, at, at my bar. And um, as part of that, we did a little blending seminar. Um, so that was where I got the idea from because people really enjoyed it. And it's quite interesting seeing their results and, and how unexpected they are. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you put in the flavors that you think you like and, and you expect something you like to come out and often it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it's such black art, really. <laughs> yeah, you, you, said, you said at some point you got to be ready to, uh, to throw in the towel and say this isn't that going is, to work. <laughs> that is, that's the hardest thing of all, you know. Like, and then you end up just drinking whiskey sodas for a week yeah. and using up this stuff that's pretty average. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite funny, like... It's really difficult to do, um, which was why I, you know, with the exception of the Highland blend in the book, the other ones were very much focused on the sort of extremities of style. And like, that was the other thing, you know, in tasting all these whiskies for the book, I think I tasted um, about 700 different whiskies. They didn't all go into the book, but you, you, you find these, these flavor groups and um, flavor camps, as Dave Broom calls it. And, uh, you know, sometimes these whiskies are just. Ex- excessively floral it's just absolutely amazing and i thought you know well it wouldn't be great to make create like a uh, like a hybrid of all these floral whiskies pop them all together and see what comes out mm-hmm. and um there were a couple of towel throwing occasions on on that particular one because <laughs> suddenly they just cancel each other out and you lose all that kind of real um sort of fleeting nuance that w- that was there in the first place but the one that I did in the end is really, really nice. Lucky I had about 500 mil of it as well. So in fact, I think I've still got a little bit left, but it's starting to um, starting to deteriorate. It's losing its what it is, jazz a little Better bit. Better drink it. Better drink it. Yeah, exactly. Today, yeah. Today's the day. Yeah, maybe <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, what, so what's uh, fluid movement? What's that about? So um, fluid movement's um, my kind of uh, holding company for, for all the, everything else that we do. So um, it's me and a guy called Tom Ask. Uh, we, we founded the company about seven years ago. We do consultancy mm-hmm. uh, for both brand and bar mm-hmm. and restaurant. Uh, so, God, I think we must have, uh, in terms of sort of private res- uh, restaurant and bar stuff, we must, be, must have done 50 or 60 projects in, in that, that sort of space of time. Wow. Then we do a lot of brand work as well. So um, you know, as a lot of a lot of these bartenders do these days. So um, it may be developing drinks for a brand, or um, as with Tales of the Cocktail this this year, partnering with Belvedere for this seminar. Mm-hmm. Um, things like judging cocktail competitions. Um, we do a lot of work with Diageo on a world class competition. Uh, so I think there's some pieces like that. And then so underneath that, we've got Whistling Shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a restaurant um, down in Cornwall in the southwest of the UK, which is where I live, where I'm based, um, called Surfside. Right. And uh, then we have a range of uh, bottled cocktail products as well. There's only three at the moment, but we, we just launched those this year. Oh, nice. And uh, you have a, a blog that uh, looks like I haven't been updated in a while, but thecuriousbartender.com. That's you too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how you have to, I don't know how you have time to do all, all that you do. Never mind write a blog. <laughs> well, I don't. This is it. I don't, do I? I mean, it hasn't yeah. been updated in a while. The 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 um the the reason for that uh, website is just for, just so there's something there when you Google curious bartender. Um, yeah. And I did intend on updating it, but uh, unfortunately, I keep on signing contracts with my publisher to write more books. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it, times really, I'm writing a gin book at the moment. So, All right. Uh, 
that's uh, that's taking up a lot of time right now. Yeah, and the coffee book is out, which I haven't I haven't seen. But uh, any advice in there for iced coffee? Because I love it. There is a recipe for iced coffee. There's a recipe for for cold drip coffee as well. Um, and how to make? There's a couple of different recipes for cold drip coffee actually, and different techniques you can use. Um, so yeah, worth checking out uh, if, you, if you're into that, that kind of thing. It's, I must admit, it's not actually my favorite thing. I, I do. I mentioned that in the book that I'm not really completely sold on it. Uh, I have had some good some good iced coffees, but I, I find them to be a, the quality tends to vary quite a lot depending on where you get it from. Mind you, you get that with normal coffee as well. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, yeah, July here in New York, you know, you know, the idea of a hot beverage doesn't always appeal. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, Pleasure. I actually I went to uh, I went to college in um, Bournemouth for one term. So, oh, really? Yeah, not not far, right, from Cornwall. No, it's not too far. No, only two or three hours. Yeah, I've spent quite a lot of time in Bournemouth actually as well. There's uh, some good bars and restaurants there that I've worked with in the past. Yeah, yeah cool. Uh, all right. Well, thanks again, and I uh, hope to run into you at Tales. And uh, yeah, sure. I'll be doing a book signing thing at some point. I think so. Uh, yeah, maybe see you there or or some other point. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks again Tristan right. appreciate it cheers Brian cheers Catch you there. bye the cocktail is colder than the ice I'm still trying to wrap my head around that one well great interview with Tristan and uh, I never obviously recorded before Tales of the Cocktail I never did run into him at Tales unfortunately but uh, make sure you get over to bartenderjourney.net and you'll see you can search for show number 122 if you're listening to this uh, in the future and the, the postings got pushed down uh, and uh, you can click through and buy his books from Amazon stay tuned to the very end of the podcast for our toast it's coming right up but first I'll tell you uh, my name is Brian Vincent Weber and you can feel free to email me for any reason at vince.bartender at gmail.com you can follow me on Twitter at barkeep tips go over to that Facebook page and like it search Facebook for bartender journey and uh, what else uh, oh if you can get over to iTunes I'd appreciate it and leave some ratings and reviews say something nice and uh, if the show's helped you out uh, let us know and uh, it helps other people find the show by doing that and you can of course share the show on social media that would be helpful also and uh, leave some stars there on iTunes five stars is the most you can give so give as many as you like but five is the most you can give I've got more great stuff coming up for you on the Bartender Journey podcast. Next week, we're going to talk about tequila with Jacques, who's brand ambassador for Partida Tequila. And uh, we had a nice chat down in New Orleans. And uh, we've got that coming up for you next week. Upcoming episodes, we're going to talk about cachaça, which is, of course, the national spirit of Brazil. And I've got more audio for you from Tales of the Cocktail that'll be sprinkled in the shows in the upcoming weeks, too. Hey, right now, we're listening to Reaching by the First Class. I just want to take a second to thank you all for listening, and I appreciate you, and I'd uh, love to hear from you for whatever reason. Again, it's vince.bartender at gmail.com, and I sure enjoy uh, sharing things that I've learned uh, with you, and uh, I can, I'm sure I have things that I could learn from you. Hey, here's something fun I can share with you. I just got this soda siphon. It's the Icy, I-S-I, soda siphon, and uh, you know, it makes carbonated uh, water, but it's a lot of fun. It's beautiful, and uh, it's a conversation piece at the bar. You know, people love it. <laughs> it's like the old-fashioned. You know, you see the clown squirting somebody in the face with the uh, with the bottle. That <laughs> it's like that, but it makes it makes a uh, great seltzer. And, and uh, as I understand it, you can put cocktails in there and and uh, carbonate them too. That's something I haven't experimented with yet. Uh, mainly because I'm not sure how I'll get it clean enough to put water in it again. But uh, anyway, if I sort that out, I'll uh, I'll get back to you on that. 
All right, here's our toast. Here's to the great artistic genius Pablo Picasso, whose last words were, drink to me. Who am I to question genius? Cheers, we'll see you next time on Bartender Journey. Wow.